Hi, I'm Luminous Star. Welcome to the channel. For all of you who are current stars, mwah, thank you so much for your subscription. Thank you for motivating me and inspiring me to keep this channel Luminous Star active. All of you who are visiting for the first time, welcome to Luminous Star. Join the star family by hitting that subscription button below. We would love to have you join us. Today's video is going no contact from the dysfunctional family headed by narcissists. I'm just going to go over a few things with you all. Please mind that description box below for further details such as the references and resources. If you would, please like and share this video. Okay, so what I will be going over with you all today, um, not just the points and the tools, but I'm going to be going over a, a few articles that I read online that speaks to this particular topic. And on that note, I'm just going to go over the topics of discussion. First topic, adjustments must be made in order to become accustomed to saying no to dysfunctional relationships. Second topic, challenges individuals face after choosing to go no contact. Third topic, coming to peace with the choice to go no contact from dysfunctional family headed by the narcissist or cluster personality. Well, first of all, you know, I want to say that this is not your typical dysfunctional family. So I start off with the first point by stating that this is not your typical dysfunctional family because it's headed by a narcissistic personality or a person who has a cluster B personality. A person who has a cluster B personality and a person who has a narcissistic personality, what they tend to do is they tend to emotionally bully other family members into submitting to him or her in order to supply their false self-image. So there's a lot of bullying going on in this particular dysfunctional family. In your typical dysfunctional family, yes, there's some emotional manipulation. However, they're not headed by someone who has a personality disorder. This is why there's your typical dysfunctional family and then there's your dysfunctional family headed by a narcissist or those who have a cluster personality. The contrast is actually there. However, sometimes that contrast can be very subtle. The cluster personality and the narcissist, they have a personality disorder. So their methods for abusing others within the family unit is going to be quite different. There's your contrast from someone who is an abuser who is heading a dysfunctional family, yet they don't have a personality disorder. They may have a mental illness. They may have some other types of neurosis going on with them. They may be neurotic in other ways. But the bottom line is this. The typical family, pardon me, the typical dysfunctional family that is run by a person who is being abusive in that family and they're heading that family. It could be the mom. It could be the dad. It could be, uh, you know, um, a guardian. It can be your grandparents or someone, whoever is heading, whoever the family member is or family members are who head the household. If they do not have a personality disorder, their methods to their madness is going to be quite different from the person who's heading the dysfunctional household or the dysfunctional family who has a personality disorder, like a narcissist. Their methods to their madness is going to be quite different. The contrast is there, yet the contrast is very subtle. In my opinion, this is one of the reasons why a lot of counselors and therapists and doctors do not detect any differences from your typical dysfunctional family and that of the dysfunctional family headed by the narcissist or cluster personality. Now I want to go over an article that I was reading earlier. Okay, now some people end up leaving when they become uh, old enough, okay, when they're up in age, right? When they're older, one of the things that happens is that he or she will leave their toxic family or their dysfunctional family headed by the narcissist or the cluster personality. So I want to go over this article that I was reading. It's from mentalhelp.net. 
the uh, description box below has all of the references and resources. Okay, so you can find this link in the description box below. Okay, toxic families who scapegoat. Now, a lot of you know that I have done some videos about this topic. You know, a, per, a particular family member that was scapegoated in their dysfunctional families, headed by a narcissist or a cluster personality. This is something that is not easy to do. So a person who chooses to leave, they're going to be facing some challenges simply because a narcissist and a cluster personality See, the narcissist and the cluster personality, they tend to run their dysfunctional family like a cult leader would run a cult. Okay, some of you have seen that video, and I appreciate your comments. This is one of the, this is another reason why there's your typical dysfunctional family, and then there's your dysfunctional family run by a narcissist or headed by a narcissist. It's different, yet the contrast is subtle. Let's see, there was a particular, let's see here. Okay, here we go. Why would a family choose a loved one to bully and scapegoat? The answer has a lot to do with the concept of scapegoating and the purpose it serves. Okay, I'll stop right there. I did uh, a video about this. Now, what I said in the video that I did about scapegoating is that, yes, there is a purpose for scapegoating. However, when the narcissist or the cluster personality chooses a particular child in the dysfunctional family to scapegoat, there are several reasons for that. First of all, they have deemed that child as a safe victim. A safe victim is someone that is deemed or a, a person who is not protected by others. So the narcissist and cluster personality deems that child as a safe victim because he or she knows that if they choose to prey upon that child, no one else in the family or in the community, for that matter, will intervene on that child's behalf. Therefore, that child has been deemed as a safe victim. So when that child is scapegoated, what the narcissist and cluster personality likes to do is to make sure that that targeted prey, who is the scapegoated child, is ganged up on. So that targeted prey, who is the scapegoated child, will not have anyone else to turn to in that dysfunctional family. There is no support for him or her. They are being abused from several family members. The narcissist and cluster personality sets it up that way. They make sure that they are well supplied by making sure that other family members follow their lead in bullying and mistreating the targeted prey who is the scapegoated child. So the scapegoated child, in the mind of the narcissist and cluster personality, that scapegoated child is sacrificed in order to preserve the dysfunctional family legacy. The scapegoated child is being sacrificed in order to preserve the dysfunctional family legacy headed by the narcissistic parent or the narcissist, whomever that family member may be who is heading the dysfunctional household. The dysfunctional family is to be preserved and it is to carry on to the next generation. The child who is deemed as scapegoat is a threat to that legacy being passed on. So, voila, there's your scapegoat. A scapegoat fulfills the purpose of being sacrificed in order to make sure that the group survives. So, whatever that group may be. In this instance, we're talking about a dysfunctional family, which is a group. So the child who is deemed as a scapegoat has been sacrificed in order for the rest of the group to survive, which is the dysfunctional family. So I know that sounds twisted, and I know that sounds pretty grim, but when you look up the word scapegoat, look up the definition, you would then understand what I just stated.
So I broke that down in that particular video. Um, again, this is just my opinion of why, one of the reasons why the narcissist chooses a particular child to scapegoat in the dysfunctional family unit. This is what, this second paragraph here caught my eye. Um, there was something in it that I, I disagreed with. Now I'll just go ahead and start reading the paragraph. Incredible as it may seem, wait a minute, let me blow this up a little bit. I don't know if you guys can see it. Just blow it up just a little bit. Ah, there we go. Here we go. Okay. Incredible as it may seem, incredible as it might seem, there are families that scapegoat a loved one, even into and including adulthood. This is true. <laughs> For a variety of reasons, we will explore one member becomes the target of accusations, blame, criticism, and ostracism. While it's happening, family members are totally unaware of what they are doing and would deny it if confronted with the behavior. Often, scapegoating begins in childhood and continues into and throughout adulthood. Okay, now there are several uh, points here that I do agree with. What I do not agree with is that some family members do not know what they're doing. This is the sentence that I disagree with. While it's happening, family members are totally unaware of what they are doing and would deny it if confronted with their behavior. Okay, now the latter part of that sentence I do agree with. They would deny it if confronted with their behavior. While it's happening, the, the former part of this sentence here is what I don't agree with. While it's happening, family members are totally unaware of what they are doing. I don't agree with that. Reason being is because when we're talking about a dysfunctional family headed by a narcissist or a cluster B personality, they are emotionally bullied. They are emotionally manipulated into being flying monkeys, enablers, and joining in on abusing or mistreating and even traumatizing the family member who has been chosen as scapegoat. This is, again, why I say you have your typical dysfunctional family and then you have your dysfunctional family headed by a narcissist or cluster personality. The reason why I don't agree with this particular point or the former part of that sentence is because we're talking about a dysfunctional family headed by a narcissist or a cluster personality. That particular point would not apply. That's my opinion. But if we're talking about a dysfunctional family that is not headed by a narcissist and is not headed by a cluster personality, then I would totally agree with that entire sentence. That while it's happening, family members are, not, are totally unaware. Yes, I would agree with that. Even as far as them denying it, if they were confronted with their behavior. The contrast is so subtle between your typical dysfunctional family without the narcissist in it, and then your dysfunctional family with the narcissist in it. It's different. It's very different. The contrast is there, yet it's very subtle. And often, scapegoating begins in childhood and continues into that last sentence I, I agree with. Often, scapegoating begins in childhood and continues into and throughout adulthood. This is, I totally agree with that. Regardless if there's a, a narcissist that's in the family or, or not, in the dysfunctional family, pardon me. Uh, I do agree with that. Because this is a behavior pattern. Dysfunctional families... One of the things that they have in common, there's a, a lot of things they have in common, but one of the main things that they have in common is that their dysfunctional behavior goes on into the next generation and so on and so on and so on until someone in the family or certain family members wake up and they realize, oh my goodness, this is not why I'm here on this planet. This is not my purpose for being here. In other words, to pass on a dysfunctional family legacy. That's not my purpose. I'm, you know, the person is not saying that they're better than their family. They just woke up and they realized, hey, this is not why I'm here. This is not part of my uh, purpose for being here on the planet. 
And some people do wake up, obviously, because we hear the testimonies of people leaving these types of dysfunctional families because they have awakened and they realize that it's not part of their purpose to pass on a dysfunctional family legacy. There's behavioral patterns here that are very dysfunctional. And when you get families together and they're all living together, you know, and I'm not saying this is bad. Yes, that is what a family is. People growing together, people doing things together, people having similar ideas and so on and so forth. Yes, that is your family. However, when it is riddled and overshadowed with dysfunctional behavior and dysfunction of all kinds, like drug addiction, alcoholism, incest, sexual abuse, and so on and so forth. See, when that overshadows the family, then, yeah, then you're talking about a family that has dysfunctional behavior patterns that absolutely can ruin lives, but yet is passed on from one generation to the next. So when people get together, when a group gets together, first of all, that means that they are in agreement via ideas, perception, energy, spirit, emotional IQ. They're in agreement. That means they see eye to eye. That means they're in resonance with each other. So they relate with each other, not just physically, but non-verbally, spiritually. Their ideas tend to be the same. As I stated before, they just have the same or similar outlook on life. So a particular group, any group you want to think of, a corporate group, a religious group, a spiritual group, a social group, whatever that group may be. But here we're talking about a family group. Okay, so they, ha- they tend to share the same perception and ideas. They tend to have the same type of uh, or similar type of spiritual body or energy body. Their energy fields. Their energy fields tend to complement one another, not repel. The scapegoat in a dysfunctional family headed by the narcissist and cluster personality usually has the type of energy body and or spirit that repels, repels against the narcissist in particular. This is often why the narcissist gets busy after selecting a particular child as scapegoat with getting the other family members to side with him or her. This way, the cluster personality has the supply And not only that, they get to sit back and watch the scapegoated family member struggle alone as they realize that they don't have anyone in their families. So this is a systematic way of outcasting that particular family member. It's pretty hideous, in my opinion. But again, we're talking about the typical dysfunctional family versus the dysfunctional family headed by a narcissist or cluster personality. So what you have here in this article is they're talking about why scapegoats tend to leave. So if you have any time, just, you know, go back to this link here and check out this particular article. Um, But I wanted to share that with you because there were a few things in this article that caught my eye. And I just wanted to share with you one of the uh, points here that I did disagree with. There are a couple of other points in here that I do disagree with. But that was the one that I really wanted to point out because that was the main one that I disagreed with. I don't think that family members don't necessarily know what they're doing. The narcissist absolutely knows what he or she is doing. Let's make that clear. However, when it comes to the other family members that are being emotionally manipulated and or bullied by the narcissist to become either an enabler or a flying monkey... Then one may say, well, maybe they really don't know everything they're doing. Well, I say it can go either way. Some enablers and some flying monkeys, they do begin to see the writing on the wall, yet they go along with the narcissist anyway. This has been testified over and over. There's a lot of testimonies out here about that, people who have gone through this. So this is why I I disagree with that statement. Even when it comes to family members who are being emotionally and or 
they are being uh, manipulated emotionally and bullied emotionally. This is why I disagree with when it comes to family members. I don't think it's always the case. I'll put it like that. I don't think it's always the case that family members do not know what they're doing. Some family members, like I said, they have, they have awakened, they have seen the writing on the wall, yet they go along with the narcissist anyway because the fence looks greener on that side. Rather, if they went against the narcissist, they don't see that as being promising. So they join the narcissist because they look at it as more beneficial to him or her, pardon me. They look at it as more beneficial. So rather than standing up, to the narcissist and saying, hey, you know, this is wrong. They go along with the narcissist because they benefit from it. This is another reason why I say I don't think that those family members always do not know what they're doing. In some cases, yes, I do think that's a true statement in this article. I, oh, I agree with that statement in this article. There are times that family members, they don't know. While they are uh, abusing or mistreating the scapegoat, okay, which is headed by, all of this is headed or all of this is orchestrated by the narcissist who's heading the dysfunctional family. So while all that's going on, some family members don't know until later on when the scapegoat is no longer around. Then they wake up and then they realize what has been, what has been happening in their family. But while the scapegoat is available and while the scapegoat is being uh, mistreated by him or her, not just the narcissist, but this could be a sibling, this can be a cousin, this can be a, 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 the other parent, it can be a grandparent, you know, aunts, uncles. Later on, later on, they may wake up and they may see, oh my goodness, I was a part of something horrible. They may say or think something like, well, I remember when the narcissist would say certain things about that particular scapegoated family member and so on and so on. But I went with it because it was believable at that time. But now that the scapegoat is no longer around, I can see a little bit more clearly. This is something that those who have been scapegoated in their families realize is that after they're no longer available, some family members wake up, some of them. However, some of them still do not wake up, even after the scapegoated family member is no longer available. But uh, like I said, it goes either way. I do think that some family members are aware, even while the abuse is going on. I do think that they, that they are aware. And I do think that some aren't aware. It depends on the circumstances. It depends on the situation. And it depends on the individual. I, actually, when I look at that, that's another way that that family member is being scapegoated because the family members who may kind of see what's going on, but yet they go along with it anyway, they're sacrificing the scapegoat. They're, they're sacrificing the scapegoated family member. They're joining in. What they're saying is that, okay, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway because I don't want to end up being scapegoated. I don't want to end up being mistreated like this. And I think that this is usually the case. Some people will disagree with me, but I think this is usually the case. I do think that there's cases whereas the family members really don't know what they're doing. I do agree with that. However, I think that when you're talking about a narcissist heading the dysfunctional family, I think that that tends to be different only because the narcissist and the cousin personality is emotionally manipulating others. And some family members are intuitive enough to see what's going on. It may take them a little while, but then they, get to, they begin to see what's going on. And then they look at a bigger picture and say, well, I don't want to be treated this way. I, I feel badly for the family member who's been scapegoated, but I don't feel that badly. I'm just going to close my eyes, cover my ears, okay, and keep my mouth shut. And I'm just going to keep benefiting from this horrible situation. It's not so horrible for me. It's horrible for this family member here. And, I, I, and the family member will get it. But they will go along with the horrible stuff anyway because he or she does not want to end up being mistreated. I know that might sound horrible, 
that is the shadow side of human nature. That person has made their choice. They have chosen to go along with the narcissist because it benefits him or her. Again, the grass is greener on that side than the other side of the fence. If they go against the narcissist, they know that there may be repercussions and it's just not worth it. They prefer to go ahead and save themselves instead of helping the scapegoated family member, supporting the scapegoated family member. And this is why I say there are some family members who do wake up and they do realize why there are some who do not. Okay, so now let's go ahead and take a look at the um, DSM-5 and what it has to say about the personality disorder. Let's see, I think I have it. Let me scroll down. I wanted to look at the narcissistic personality disorder. Okay, wait a minute. Here it is. Boom. Okay, narcissistic personality disorder. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. See what DSM-5 says about it. And I'll go over some of it. Let's, uh, you know what? I'm, I want to point this out. I want to point this out right here. Impairments in interpersonal functioning. Now, I'm going to explain why I pointed this out in a minute, but let me go ahead and read it. Empathy. Impaired ability to recognize or identify with feelings and needs of others. Excessively attuned to reaction of others or reactions of others, but only if perceived as relevant to self and or underestimate of own effect on others. Intimacy. Relationships largely superficial and exist to serve self-esteem. Regulation. Constrained by little genuine interest in others. Experiences and predominance of a need for personal gain. Pathological personality traits in the following domain. Antagonism. Characterized by grandiosity. Feelings of entitlement, either overt or covert. Now, the reason why I pointed these two out, these impairments here, which describe in the DSM-5, the narcissistic personality, is because, again, in the typical dysfunctional family headed by someone who is abusive, you're not going to find this. But in a dysfunctional family, whereas there's a cluster personality or a narcissistic personality, you're going to find this. This is what makes the dysfunctional family a little bit more hideous. There's your typical dysfunctional family, and then there's your dysfunctional family headed by the narcissist or cluster personality. The abuse will be a little bit more hideous simply because of some of these impairments right here. So when you have a person who is heading a household, they don't have a personality disorder such as a cluster B or a narcissistic personality, then he or she will abuse their family members. However, the methods to their abusive behavior is not going to be to the extreme as that of a narcissist or cluster personality. Because we have heard, well... I'm going to go ahead and say I think some of us have heard of or maybe we know somebody who has been a part of a dysfunctional family growing up. However, family members, they woke up, they realized, you know, their behavior was dysfunctional and that family began to heal together. In other words, there was a change. It may have been gradual. It may have taken some time, but there were some changes and everybody benefited. The group started to grow together. Rarely will you find that in a dysfunctional family that's headed by a narcissist or cluster personality. My opinion is because the cluster personality and the narcissist that's heading their dysfunctional family, they tend to bully other family members into submitting or supplying him or her. Okay, so let's take a look at the impairments again. Interpersonal functioning. They don't empathize with others. 
They don't deeply connect to others. There's not any intimacy. So you take that kind of person who's bullying other people in their family or their dysfunctional family, then you can see why this is a very little slim chance to none that that family will heal together, yet alone grow together. Nobody is really going to see the light. The only way certain family members are going to grow and heal and overcome being in a dysfunctional family headed by a narcissist is they have to leave. They have to go no contact. This is why I shared that article with you all. Because that article was talking about how some family members who were scapegoated in a dysfunctional family, they decided to go no contact. They decided to leave. That's very difficult to do. Again, when you see a dysfunctional family headed by a narcissist or cluster personality, it is a slim chance to none, in my opinion, that they're going to grow together and that they will heal together. Because that means people will have to look at the fact that there's a dysfunctional behavior pattern that's very destructive. They have to face that fact. And some dysfunctional families, again, they have been able to do that. It may have been gradual. It may have been taken some time to do, but they are now, that family is now growing together. They are healing now. In a dysfunctional family headed by a narcissist, it is slim chance to none that would ever happen. I have mentioned the contrast of your dysfunctional family and your dysfunctional family headed by the narcissist or cluster personality. It is so subtle. That contrast is very subtle. When you take a look at the narcissist and what constitutes them having a personality disorder, then it becomes very clear. It is no longer, the contrast is no longer as subtle as it was before. This is one of the reasons why I think this really escapes a lot of therapists and those who are counseling families who are dysfunctional. If that dysfunctional family is headed by a narcissist, this is exactly why that contrast is so subtle and it escapes them. He or she is not going to pass on the dysfunctional family legacy. And when you put all that together, then you can clearly see why a particular family member, I'm not condoning this, I'm just saying from the eyes of the narcissist and the cosmic personality, you can begin to see why he or she may have selected a particular family member to scapegoat because they saw certain things in that family member that spoke to them and said, okay, this family member is a threat. This family member is a threat because the legacy, the narcissist may say something like this, the legacy I want to leave behind will serve me. And this particular family member is getting in the way of that. And this, this is often a child. I know that sounds ridiculous. It's often a child. They tend to select a particular child in the dysfunctional family that is a threat to the false self-image of the narcissist. There's a lot of reasons, but I started to look at different reasons of why that child may be a threat to that particular narcissist's false self-image. The narcissist has false self-images such as being a god. It's always something grandiose. Something that does not reflect reality. The narcissist and the cosmic personality has an image of themselves in their heads or in their psyches that does not match reality. A particular child in a dysfunctional family often threatens that false self-image. As time goes on, that same child grows up into the adult. It is not surprising that that is the same family member as an adult who goes no contact from the dysfunctional family that is headed by the narcissist. The dysfunctional family that is headed by the narcissist and cosmic personality, it is not your typical dysfunctional family. In the contrast to the dysfunctional family, your typical dysfunctional family is so subtle. Whenever the family doctor of that dysfunctional family headed by the narcissist is examining the family, you know, they're, they're making sure that they're mentally healthy. Because sometimes, you know, some families, they have a family doctor. So when you look at the whole family, the dysfunctional family, 
that has a family doctor, a, a, maybe a family therapist, a family counselor. You know, they go to family uh, therapy. One of the things that I think is so sad, but it's often true, is that the narcissist that's heading that dysfunctional family is not looked at a little bit more closely. I think all too often the fact that the narcissistic family member heading the dysfunctional family, their personality disorder is overlooked by the family doctor, by the family therapist, by the family counselor. The narcissist is overlooked because the narcissist knows how to keep their personality disorder under wraps or they know how to camouflage it. We've heard the reports before. We've, we've heard this. We've heard a lot about how, I mean, we can just look this up and do the research. We know some people that have a narcissist in their family, yet they won't go to counseling, yet they won't get the help. They don't think they need the help. And at the same time, they know how to camouflage their behavior to make themselves go up under the radar or be stealth or go stealth up under the radar. They know how to do it. They're very good at it. This is also why I said that the dysfunctional family that's headed by a narcissist, it is slim chance to none that as a group, as a family, they're not going to heal together. They're not going to grow together. Often, if there's a scapegoated family member in that dysfunctional family headed by a narcissist, that is the family member that you will see going no contact. That is the family member that sees the writing on the wall. They're not better than the other family members. Let me make that clear. They just made a different choice. They saw certain things that were of reality. They didn't make it up. It wasn't a fantasy. Who wants to fantasize about being treated like that in a family? Who wants to view their family like that and it be a fantasy? That's ridiculous. So they saw the handwriting on the wall. The scapegoated family member, when they had a chance, after they saw the writing on the wall, they realized that it was time to move forward. They didn't want, that was not their first choice. Most of the time it's not. Most of the time the scapegoated family member hangs in there for a long time before they do finally go no contact. Because they have a value of family. That's a little bit ironic, don't you think? The family member who was scapegoated has a high value of family. Or they value families very highly. Yet they're the ones that choose to go no contact from their own family. Because they see the writing on the wall. And they realized that this is one of the major ways that they will continue to thrive forward and heal. If they have any hopes of fulfilling their own purpose on this planet, they see the writing on the wall and they have decided that they must go no contact. They must thrive forward in that regard. However, when you look at the dysfunctional family, And when you look at your dysfunctional family that is headed by the narcissist, once again, it is very, very subtle in the contrast. But the contrast is there. Again, when you look at the narcissist and cousin personality, just their interpersonal functioning is impaired. That alone gives you a clue that they're the rotten apple in the bunch. That that gives you a clue. (laughs) However, it's amazing how they go stealth up under the radar when it comes to the mental health counselor or practitioner or those who may be the family doctor. Now, not saying anything against their profession. They're very important. Let me make that clear. However, when it comes to the narcissist and how they are able to, to go stealth up under the radar, that alone, in my opinion, confirms that they have a personality disorder. That confirms 
that there's an interpersonal malfunctioning because they know how to go stealth up under the radar. Someone who doesn't have a personality disorder or someone who is being sincere, they would not even think to go stealth up under the radar. A person who is genuine and they know that there's dysfunctional behavior on their part and they know they may need some help with that, they're not going to even think of going stealth up under the radar. But a person with a predatory nature who has something to hide, yeah, they're going to go stealth up under the radar. And they're going to do it very often. There's the other articles that I read. I'll make sure that they're there in the uh, description box below. Let's see, there are, let's see, I only put the two articles up. But I just wanted to share that with you all because uh, this is something that I thought was very important to talk about right now. There's a lot of people who are struggling and they are dealing with how to cope with having gone no contact. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. So this is one of the topics of discussion. When a person is faced with challenges after going no contact, that's a sign that they have a little bit more healing to do. It's not a sign that they made the wrong choice. A person who has chosen to go no contact from a dysfunctional family headed by the narcissist, they have already made the first important step. It's a major one. There are going to be challenges because when you think about a person who is coming from existing on the planet in a particular way to changing and being able to exist on a planet another way, that takes an adjustment. There's going to be challenges along the way that that person will face because there's a change, it's a transition. It's a growing process. It's a healing process. So stay tuned for the rest of the video. I'm going to be going over a few more points and I'm going to be going over some tools with you. So here's a video that I also wanted to share with you all. Um, you can find the link in the description box below. Uh, this is just a YouTube video <clears throat> um, that caught my eye and I just wanted to share a few thoughts with you. So uh, here we go. Hello, this is Dr. Linda Martinez-Louis. I want to talk to you about that fact that narcissists destroy their families. When you meet a narcissist, especially a very smooth, attractive one, you would never guess that he or she is decimating his family. Spouses, ex-spouses, children, siblings, in-laws, grandparents, etc. Narcissists go viral on destruction. Their venom spreads out to every family member. There are some individuals, even as small children, know that there is something very wrong with their mother or father. Okay, I want to say something about that. Uh, the comment she just made about how their venom, the narcissist's venom, seems to spread. This is something that I've often heard just from testimonies of some people who come from dysfunctional families that are headed by narcissists or have a uh, narcissistic um, family member. I've often heard that narcissists just, it only takes one narcissistic family member to wipe out entire families. This is often why I think when the dysfunctional family member is heading the dysfunctional family, I think this is why the dysfunctional family legacy tends to pass on from generation to generation because you have the narcissistic family member that is emotionally bullying and emotionally manipulating other family members to submit to his or her will or they're feeding their false self-image or supplying their false self-image. This is often the case. So when you factor in that the narcissist is heading the dysfunctional family, it is pretty easy for him or her to be well supplied for an entire for an entire lifetime. So when the narcissism causing personality influences other family members to pass on the dysfunctional family legacy, 
That, to me, says something about the spreading the venom. This is how they spread their venom. They're passing on an idea of dysfunctional patterns, of dysfunctional behavior patterns. They're encouraging or influencing other family members to behave dysfunctionally. That way, it's passed on to the next generation. Okay, let's continue. This person is toxic to them. They keep their emotional distance from this individual whom they are asked to call mother or father or sister. Some family members survive by becoming invisible. As soon as they are able, they spend long periods of time away from their home. Or they find hiding places in their rooms or outside. They escape into books. They learn how to avoid their own parent. The emotion. This is where the family member who was selected as scapegoat usually finds a way to cope and deal with the fact that they are in a dysfunctional family headed by a narcissist. This narcissist could be their mother, their father, grandparents, or a, a aunt, or uncle. Usually they try to find some sort of escape. Usually the selected family member who scapegoated is a child. So they usually try to find some kind of way of coping and dealing. Because we have to keep in mind that the selected family member who is being scapegoated is usually a child or a minor. So they are powerless right there. So they have to try to find some sort of coping mechanism or some sort of escapism to deal with the fact that they are in a dysfunctional family headed by a narcissist. Actually detach themselves from the narcissistic parent. In some cases, there is an aunt or a grandparent from whom they can get some of the warmth and love that they need and deserve. Other children receive no help, no calming, no mercy at all. And I have been in touch with many of these victims of narcissistic abuse. Other family members, spouses and children, some of them, go along with the pathological thinking and behaviors of the narcissistic parent. They will tell you how much they love the narcissistic mother or father who is crushing them psychologically. They have never made a psychological separation from this poisonous person. This is often why even when a person grows up and the background is a dysfunctional family headed by a narcissist, this is often why, regardless of their age, they can be 30, they can be 40, they can be 50, and so on and so on. This is often why it's very difficult for them to really go no contact. They can physically leave the nest, however, Emotionally, spiritually, they're still connected to the dysfunctional family headed by the narcissist. See, a person who goes no contact, once a person has gotten past going no contact on the physical level, there's other challenges he or she usually faces, and that is the emotional, the spiritual. There's the nostalgia that I was just speaking of. They wish for their family to function differently. A person wishes for their family to be loving, to be caring, to be closely knit, but that is not the case when you're talking about a dysfunctional family headed by a narcissist or a cluster of personality. That just isn't the case. So they go no contact, yet psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, they're still facing challenges of going no contact. Even in middle age, they are still holding on to a non-parent who has taken their lives away. They will not become separate individuals, usually in their lifetime. Some children in the family are chosen to be the special ones who represent the narcissist's power, brilliance, talent, physical attractiveness, and magnetism. Many consider themselves 
to be the lucky ones. They are treated like little gods, but they are not real people. They become narcissistic pariahs, often, who are allowed to emotionally harm their siblings. They are raised to the heights by the parents and believe they are perfect and superior. They treat their siblings like dirt, lie about them, get them into serious trouble, the narcissistic parent. Okay, so this is the grooming process. The grooming process is when the narcissistic parent will select certain children in the dysfunctional family and groom them either to become adults who behave codependently or adults who develop a narcissistic personality or a cluster B personality. The narcissist who is heading the dysfunctional family, they carry out this vicious plan and again they usually go stealth up under the radar they're very it's very subtle how they do this so when they are grooming the children one of the children again is selected to be scapegoated if there's other children in the family it's not necessarily that they get off scot-free it's not necessarily that they are lucky. They are either groomed to become those who behave codependently or those who will become a narcissist like the narcissistic parent or they will have a clusty personality. Okay. These dark narcissistic family patterns do not stop. They repeat themselves. Fortunately, there are individuals within these families who grew up to be genuine, solid, kind, and productive human beings. And I have been in contact with many of these individuals as well. And I honor and respect all of you who are survivors of these highly pathological narcissistic families and narcissistic spouses. You do not have to be destroyed by a narcissist. You do, not, you do not deserve to be. Know that you can heal and recover, that you can rediscover your true self. Put yourself first. This is not selfish. It is essential. For the first time in your life, remember that you are a precious individual, that you deserve inner peace. You deserve to feel secure, safe, and at ease inside. You deserve to have people around you whom you can trust and from whom you get respect, as well as a full use of all of your creative gifts. Sometimes it is necessary to completely sever contact with narcissistic relatives. That's how destructive they are. This is very difficult, but it is often necessary. You are the one that makes this decision. But I can tell you that narcissists generally do not change. This is a very fixed personality disorder. You are the one now who is in charge of your own life. And I honor and respect you and wish you the very best, especially in this new year that is with us now. Take. Okay, um, I again wanted to share this video with you all because I did find it interesting. Now I have not met uh, this doctor at all I did go online and do a little research. In the description box below, I left the links there for you if you want to go ahead and just do some research on this doctor. The book here, um, not this one, Recovering Healing After Narcissists, but this book, Freeing Yourself from Narcissists in Your Life. Now, I did go ahead and look that up on Amazon, and I looked inside and I read the first or the introduction um, and I mean, it looked pretty good, but I let you be the judge of that. <laughs> it seemed like it would be a really good book to read, but of course, this is up to you. <laughs> this is your choice if you would like to read this book or not, or both books. 
Um, but this is the link here below. I'm not advocating that you contact this uh, doctor here, but I am just letting you know that this is a resource that is in the uh, description box below. I want to mention that once a person uh, goes no contact from the dysfunctional family headed by the narcissist, they're going to face challenges. And this is not necessarily because he or she is a bad person. What's interesting to me is that very often that individual will feel survivor's guilt. Survivor's guilt is something that we have often heard of when it pertains to soldiers who have fought in combat. And now that they have returned home, they remember their fellow soldiers and other military personnel that they have witnessed dying in combat. They didn't return home like they did. Sometimes they think they could have done something different. Survival's guilt is something that a lot of people who have gone no contact from the dysfunctional family, they go through. That's one of the challenges. Now, I mentioned nostalgia, but then, again, there's the other side of that. There's memories that are not so pleasant, and they know other family members may have suffered but yet they choose to stay within that dysfunctional family. But it's amazing how the family member who had gone no contact and who had been selected as scapegoat, they feel the survivor's guilt. This is what the narcissist would like. This is part of the grooming process that happened when they were children. They were either groomed to behave codependently or they were groomed to develop a narcissistic personality or cluster B personality. And if they have developed the cluster B personality and they have developed the narcissistic personality, well, they're not going to feel the survivor's guilt. And more than likely, they're not going to go no contact from their dysfunctional family. But the person who has gone no contact from their dysfunctional family, it is very interesting to me how often they feel the survivor's guilt this is also another challenge that he or she may face. They have memories. So they're going to feel certain emotions. And sometimes this may trigger other memories. And he or she may have flashbacks. So these are some of the challenges that a person faces after they've gone no contact from the dysfunctional family headed by the narcissist. It's almost like the person has left a cult because the dysfunctional family member usually runs their dysfunctional family like a cult. So this is one of the main reasons, in my opinion, that it's very difficult for a person who goes no contact to go no contact emotionally, spiritually, and so on and so on. The physical aspect of going no contact, well, they've accomplished that, obviously. But then there's those other challenges that he or she usually faces and sometimes it does take uh, you know it takes a few years but I'm not saying that to discourage anyone I'm just saying this because it is usually the case I'm saying that to be realistic when a person has grown up in the dysfunctional family and they've gone no contact Again, this is a sign of a transition. This is a sign of there being a change within that person. He or she is only following procedure. They're following the protocol in order to thrive forward and to heal. The protocol is that they must practice self-preservation or they must learn to at least exist on this planet as a person who no longer invests in dysfunctional families or dysfunctional relationships, period. That takes some adjustment. That's a sign of a transition. That's a protocol. It's a process to heal and thrive forward. It's not going to be easy. However, it is very much the game changer. It's a process, and some people have incorporated this process into their lifestyles, and they're doing well. So again, I just wanted to share this with you all and I really hope that you would take a little bit of time out and just review this video again and go ahead and check out those resources in the description box below.